Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. It's going to be a wonderful hour coming up with Bob Moeller. He's joining me. And if you have questions for Bob, uh, let let us know what they are. 877-933-2484. He's a relationship expert. And I bet some of you are maybe feeling a little bit of stress on the relationship because an, ex- an extended period of being home. And it can be a wonderful thing, but it can also be a stressful thing because people are trying to manage their work life and their Zoom calls and the kids' homework and homeschooling and everything else, and there can be a little bit of uh, stress, and we're going to talk about that today. And if you've got a question for Bob, let me know what it is. You can, of course, ask it anonymously. Send me a text, 877-933-2484. Take a little break. We'll bring on Bob. Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Do you have a story of helping others in your community? We want to hear how you are putting your faith into action during these unique and trying times. When you share your story, you inspire and help mobilize others to step out in faith too. And together we can cause a ripple effect for Christ. Share your creative ways to serve the needs of others at MyFaithRadio.com. I'm Faith Radio Manager Neil Stavum. During our upcoming fundraiser, we'll focus on faith and not fear. In a time of uncertainty, we have an invitation to a deeper dependence on God. This is an opportunity to affirm our confidence in His character. God's promises are true. He will provide. His presence is assured. He'll never leave us or forsake us. And His peace cancels our fears. We're counting on God and you to see Faith Radio through. Stand with us in faith and make your gift today at MyFaithRadio.com. You're in for a big treat this hour. Bob Muller's my guest. And he and his wife, Cheryl, have a ministry called fourkeepsministries.com. They help couples who are struggling, and they do incredible work with these couples. And Bob is uh, an author and is joining me for the full hour. Bob, welcome. Thank you very much, Bill. Great to be back. Nice to have you aboard once again. So uh, how are you and Cheryl doing? Well, uh, we are doing better than uh, we deserve, as Dave Ramsey says. Um, We have been blessed so far um, during this time to be in good health. And uh, some extended relatives, uh, those overseas, uh, one of them did develop the COVID, but he's out of the hospital doing well. And so we're very grateful for that. So we Mm -hmm. have much to say thanks for. Yeah. So a lot of people are spending a lot of extra time together. And they're working from home and not getting out quite as much as they once did. All of the routine activities are are temporarily suspended. And that extra time is a joy for many and putting a big bundle of stress on others. Well, it is. Um, You know that, as the old saying goes, pain is inevitable, but misery is optional. I like that. And so um, we're all going through a time of pain, aren't we? Um, You know, with many people not being able to go to work and 
work being cut back and um, all sorts of restrictions on what we can do, who we can see. It's, it is painful. But misery is, is optional. We do not have to be miserable. I try and remind myself that uh, the book of Philippians, which stresses the theme of joy more than perhaps any other letter in the whole New Testament, was written from the Mamertine prison in Rome by Paul, which if you've been there to visit it, it's just simply a hole in the in the floor with uh, bars over it. And that was the Mamertine dungeon where he said, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. Not that his situation wasn't painful, but thank heavens it wasn't miserable. Mm-hmm. And there are uh, all kinds of uh, couples who are saying, all right, there's a little additional conflict going on, and they're having trouble navigating it for some reason. And there was a, actually an article in the Minneapolis paper today about that very thing um, written by a, um, highlighting a therapist that does some work with handling uh, arguments and couples who are trying to share the same space, um, even if they're in the midst of an argument. Yeah, there isn't really any place to go. <laughs> there's nowhere to hide. Yeah, there's, there's nowhere to hide. Uh, you're right. But I think that um, it's also, you know, I see an upside to down and that God has always seems to do his greatest work when it's most unlikely and when things maybe even look their darkest. Uh, when I was a pastor in Minneapolis, and those were wonderful years, I grew up there and then I, I pastored for a while. I had in my congregation uh, in South Minneapolis a gentleman who had been with Wycliffe Bible Translators, the original group, okay, 1929 or 30 was when Cameron Townsend, and by the way, for listeners, Wycliffe is a group that has been translating the Bible into indigenous people languages for the last uh, 60, 70 years and uh, bringing literacy to literally millions around the, the globe. It's an amazing work. It started in the summer of 1930, this, this man told me, in Arkansas on a farm. I think it was a hog farm. And they sat in the middle of the barnyard on kegs of nails, as Cameron Townsend taught them the basics of linguistics. Wow. So how do, you, how do you start from a more difficult position than the bottom of the Depression? <laughs> in a you know on a hawk farm kind of isolated uh, at a time of national crisis wow, is no when kidding. god launched this movement and um he was one of the first missionaries he went to mexico with his wife he had to come home because of uh, health problems but uh that uh, couldn't be uh, addressed there so but he told me that that first what an amazing story of how god begins things when it just seems like it's the wrong time, the wrong place. Well, I want to make the application to marriage. This might seem one of the more stressful times in your life or in your married life, but it could also be the beginning of one of the most wonderful chapters that you will uh, later look back on and really come to treasure. Mm-hmm. So if there's a conflict brewing in the house, uh, Bob, is it is it good to set a time to talk about the conflict, or is it a mistake to say, no, let's talk about it right now? Is it, do you talk about a conflict in the middle of a conflict? <laughs> okay. Well, usually it is the best time uh, to, to, to fix a, a sink that's leaking is, you know, before it begins dripping into the basement. <laughs> yeah. um, it's, it's usually time to address things when they're happening. But you can either respond or you can react. 
Uh, those are your two choices in a conflict. You can either respond or you can react. Now, the, the problem is that um, many of our arguments go in a circular fashion, you know, and I trigger you, you trigger me. And then we up the ante and then the other person takes it a, a, a up a thousand as well. And it just tends to escalate. I really encourage couples to face their conflicts because the only way out is through. There, there's no way out of life and out of our problems. There's only a way through. Mm-hmm. And we have to take the way through. Well, what is the way through? Uh, let me just give a simple method that I encourage that listeners might want to try. If you see that your spouse, if you've upset them, you're crowding each other, you've been together too long, but they get triggered and they get short and they get upset, just ask the question, um, in sincerity, did I just say or do something um, that hurt you, um, that that upset you? Did I just do something? Well, Yes, you did. Okay. I I think I know, but rather than me just assuming, please tell me what I said or did that was hurtful to you. Well, when you said or did this, okay. May I apologize for that and then ask you a question? How could I just say or do what I just say or did, said or did, in a way that wouldn't hurt you? Um, Now, I'm acting the assumption that most of the time we're not trying to hurt our spouse. Mm -hmm. We're not trying to, you know, we're not looking for an argument. You know, I heard the story of a man walking down the street past a bar and two people were, you know, starting to punch each other. And he said he stopped and said, is this a private fight or can anyone join it? Um, (laughs) You know, some people are, you know, looking or the the old story that um, I went to a fight the other night and a hockey game broke out. Um, You know, that some people are looking for fights. Most of us aren't. Okay, assuming you're not that you weren't trying to provoke the other person. What, what, can you tell me what I just said or did? And then would you tell me how I could just say or do what I was trying to say or do in a way that wouldn't be offensive? You know, Bill, most of us know the answer to that. Most of us know, well, if you had left this out, if you had just said you loved me first, if you had just asked my permission before, I wouldn't have been upset. Well, let me rewind. You know, we need to think of our marriage as kind of as a DVR or as a as a video that we do we can replay, we can go back, we can rewind and do something over. I, I believe someone once told me that the 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 first price we pay for a mistake or sin is always the lowest. That the first price we pay when we do something wrong is always the lowest if we will correct it then. If you leave it, it starts to grow. Mm. It starts to take on a life. Um, we move into what's called injustice collecting, where we store grievances against one another for future use, knowing that it just kind of adds to our arsenal. But First Corinthians 13, Bill says, love keeps no record of wrongs. That that's one of the distinguishing traits of Christ-like love is we don't keep score. We don't keep records. But we do have to deal with things right away. The sooner the better. Most of the time, most of the time, dealing with it now is the lowest price you'll ever have to pay for something you said or did that was wrong. Later, it only grows in Mm. expense. That's so smart. Bob Mulder is my guest. I'll take a little break. Um, We'll be back. If you have questions you'd like to ask Bob, 
maybe you've got an issue or a conflict going on because of the the in shelter that you're experiencing with your spouse and there's a conflict or there's some advice you need, I bet he'd answer your question. Send me a text. Of course, you can remain anonymous, 877-933-2484. Be right back. back to the show. Bob Moeller is my guest. His ministry is forkeepsministries.com. You can head over there. We're talking about maybe being home now together for an extended period of time. There's a little bit of stress on the relationship and you might get be getting on your nerves, on each other's nerves, and we're just talking through this today. Um, I love what you said before we went to break, uh, Bob, and you were talking about, is there a way I could have said this differently uh, and I think when it comes to making that statement, tone is going to be really important. Well, it is, um, both in asking it and how you answer that question, um, that you don't get snide and snarky, you know, with one another. Well, you should know, well, there you go again. I thought you'd say that or whatever. You know, don't don't go to that place. Um, that is reacting rather than responding. Rather, um, you know, ask a sincere question, because I'm willing to guess, I'm willing to, to go out on a limb and say that what has really upset your spouse um, is, is something that probably began in their lives long before you met them. Now, there can be momentary incidental irritations. I, I get that. But when we really trigger our spouse, it's, we're, we're touching a hurt that often goes back many, many years in their life before you two ever met. And what you just said or did somehow hyperlinked mm-hmm. back to that. Um, if you had a, a very critical uh, parent, for example, you couldn't really do anything right, rarely received any kind of praise. Well, during this crisis, when you're together, if if you say something, you know, um, about, uh, you know, that could possibly feel like criticism of the other person, how they're taking care of the kids, are they getting the schoolwork done, you know, what about the bills, and, and you know, it's who's keeping the house clean, anything that that could appear critical, you're, you're going to really, it, that issue is going to be bigger than what you just said. It's going to be going back to someone's damaged heart. And maybe the intention right. was you were simply trying to get some information. You weren't being judgmental or critical. You were just asking, have we paid that bill yet? Right, exactly. Um, I think 80% of the time, we are not trying to provoke our spouse, maybe even more than that. But what we say touches that person. And, um, you know, they're like the, the analogy that I'm sure people have heard before, you know, in a restaurant, if which, which you can't go to right now, but when you could, a waiter comes out carrying a terrine of soup on a on a tray to take it to a table. Someone bumps into him, and tomato soup spills all over the floor, or tomato bisque, or French onion. And the manager comes up and looks at the two waiters that have run into each other and says, "What happened here?" 
And the one waiter goes, well, he bumped me. That's why there's soup all over the floor. He knocked it over. And the other says, no, you know, that's why there's tomato soup on the floor. The other goes, well, that's really not right. He goes, no, you hit, you bumped into me. Everybody saw it. He goes, I'm not arguing that. But the reason there's tomato soup in the floor is that's what was inside the terrine when I bumped you. If it had been uh, split pea soup, that's what would be all over the floor. You see, when we get bumped, what is inside is what spills out. Mm. And often we blame the person bumping us for the incident. Well, maybe they shouldn't. But the reason the stuff spills out is that's what's on the inside already. And when you bump into each other in marriage, what spills out is what's already there and maybe has been there a long time. And so if someone was criticized and you just say, did you pay the bill? And and they react to that. They're reacting to so much more than what you just said. And I find that in marriage, um, there is the look. Okay. (laughs) The look. The look is when you've just said or done something that upset the other person, there's a look you get. And I think everyone could probably, you know, relate to that. There is the look. Okay. Even if nothing is said, you can see in their face. You know, you, you've you've driven your riding lawnmower over the garden, you know, or whatever right. that you've 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 transgressed some boundary here, some, some problem. Well, when you see the look, um, you can give a dirty look back. You can stare back at them. Um, you can up and and escalate, or you can care. You can actually care about that person because that look tells you there's a hurt in their heart that somehow you've touched, and um, you can argue with it, you can deny it, you can try lots of things, but I find the most effective thing to do is to care and to say, "Uh, did I just criticize you? Um, I'm really, I want to apologize for that. I didn't mean to. That wasn't the purpose of my statement, but you've been hurt by that. And I I, I wish to just care about that hurt in your life um, you know, I want to be the last person on earth to criticize you. I, I instead want to want to build you up, and I want to thank you for who you are, and I, I want to affirm you. Can I just care about that hurt for a few minutes? I, I think, you know, that you got hurt uh, by being criticized over and over and over again. And if I'm right, um, I'm very sorry. In fact, I wish I'd been there to stop it when it started. I would have, but I wasn't. But I don't need to add to it now. Now, I know that's a lot to say um, <laughs> when, you, when you're in, a, in an argument. But honestly, it's the way to take things to a different direction where they can turn out so much better. By the way, can I just add this, Bill? Sure. Do not argue in front of your kids. Um, if you're upset with your spouse, you two need to find some place in the house where you can process this, but don't do it in front of your kids. And if you do argue in front of your kids, you need to come back and apologize and say, you know, mom and dad, we said some things and our tempers got this. Uh, We have forgiven each other. Will you forgive us? Because children never, ever really need to witness a fight. Uh, They don't need to witness that kind of ugliness in front of you. It, it it shakes them often, though it may not appear so. Over time, it will shake them to their core. 
and it will leave a leave a hurt and a wound in their life that um, they may have a lot of trouble getting past even as they grow up. Um, we as adults need to practice the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control, and we need to wait and get behind closed doors. But if we have just let it all out in the car or in the kitchen or something, we need to circle back and we need to apologize to our children because I don't care who was right and who was wrong. Um, to see you two fighting with each other, particularly when it gets ugly, really tears a child in two directions because they love both of you. Mm. All right. Now, uh, Bob, in the second part of this hour, I want to I talk about the, the ways that we can be thriving in marriage during this time. I know you and Cheryl have done a lot of thinking about this. Um, I've had a couple of questions come in, and I would imagine in your counseling sessions of how many years you've been doing this? Well, uh, we've had this ministry now since uh, 1992, so we're coming up, I guess, on 28 years. Yeah. So I'm sure there are little things that, that bother couples. A, a listener jumped in with something I find interesting um, because it's a, it's a real deal. Um, what about telling a spouse they have bad breath? Is there a good way to do that? 30 years of marriage, and my spouse always flies off the handle. She just, he or she doesn't think it's a big deal. Yes. Well, um, I remember years ago um, when I was a pastor, someone came up to me and asked me what was my favorite breath mint. And that's all they said. And then they walked away. And the more I thought about it. The more I realized they were telegraphing something. Okay. Um, okay. They were trying to tell me in a polite way. It's like when I went for a physical, this is a true story to a doctor. And when he, when, you know, I, I asked him about the results when I came back to see him and he said, well, you're doing fine, except you're too short. <laughs> and I said, wait, what do you mean I'm too short? He goes, well, you're too short. You're in good health otherwise. What he was telling me was for my weight, yeah. according to the charts. I, was th- I thought that was really a nice way to say something, you know, that uh, there's always a nice way to say it. Um, but that's your doctor, and that's a, a person in your church. Now, what about when it's your spouse? What about well, if, you know if Cheryl had really bad breath for 30 years, and you, how do you break this to her? Well, I'm afraid it's been the other way around, but yeah. Um, <laughs> there you go. That has been an issue. Um, I think in most cases in, in marriage that we do have a right to ask our spouse about the small irritations, the small things that bother us. Um, we really shouldn't be annoying to one another. Uh, we shouldn't do it. And so even if I don't understand myself to be have a problem. Uh, but if she, you know, we should be able to say, you know, this is, I, I list five things that you love about them. First of all, anchor them with how much you respect, love, admire, cherish them. But then on the other hand, say, um, you know, I love being close to you. I, I love, you know, being is, uh, uh, you know. I'm going to have to pick this up on the other side of the break, Bob. Hold that thought. All right. And I'm going to take a break, and you can take a break. I'm going to have a sip of my coffee and a breath mint. We'll be right back with Bob Mueller.
<laughs> Welcome back to the show. Bob Mulder's my guest, talking about relationships and some of the strain that you might be feeling with all the sheltering in and togetherness. And right before we went to break, uh, we were talking about a, a particular uh, issue with a couple, and it was really uh, how do you tell a spouse that they have bad breath? So anyway, Bob, you had a concluding thought to that. Well, yeah, Gary Chapman has a question that he encourages um, couples to ask each other. And the person who is maybe at this moment um, irritated or, or, you know, let's say they're the ones that are upset about their husband's bad breath, he, or wives, he says this, that, um, and I, I agree with him in this, we should ask our spouse from time to time, what is one or two things about me that would make me an easier person to live with? Mm-hmm. What are one or two things about me, not about you, but what about me? And, and let them think about it and answer you. And um, then really genuinely attempt to implement those things. If they say it would be easier to live you if you picked up after yourself or if you did this or that, then do it. Eventually, what will and, – and then he says, well, what do you do when, when you've done that? Well, then ask them what is something else. Eventually, your spouse is going to reciprocate. And say, well, what is one thing or two things I could change that would make me an easier person to live with? Mm. And that's when you offer this suggestion about their breath, is that um, maybe you first opened your life and invited comment on what it is, small or large, that would make you a much easier person to live with. And be genuinely open to that. You know, it's the principle, I guess, of taking uh, the log out of your own eye before you sure. take the speck out of your brother's. Yeah, that's very disarming. I like that suggestion. Thank you for that. So let's talk about the ways to thrive in marriage during this time. Well, yes. Um, I, when this all started over a month ago, six weeks ago, um, I wrote down, I wrote a, a blog one day on, you know, the stress of being together and how you can turn that into possibly thriving. And I came up with a few things, and I, I want to share them because I think they're still true. Um, look at this, first of all, that this time is preparing you for your later years in life when the kids leave home and perhaps one or both of you are retired together. Now, that's usually a hard adjustment for people who have been preoccupied raising kids, pursuing career, building a business. Now is a great time to get a foretaste of the years ahead and see how you'll do when it's just the two of you again. In other words, this is a a sneak peek at the future, Um, particularly if you're middle age or younger. What's it going to be like when all the kids are gone and maybe we've wrapped up most of our career pursuits, formally speaking, and it's just the two of us? How are we going to do? You know what? This is going to give us a, uh, a preview of that. And if, hey, we enjoy being with each other, for the most part, we, we find it uh, more refreshing and more meaningful to spend time together. Um, uh, they did a study of years ago. I remember when I went to school in Minnesota, one of my psychology professors said they did a study and discovered that people who like each other um, spend the most time together. And at first they thought, well, that's natural. You like each other because... And that's why you spend time. But no, what they discovered was spending time together actually helps you like each other. And that eventually you learn, you know, really to adjust, to accommodate, to enjoy 
the other person because you're spending time. And this is a great time to see, hey, how are we going to do when it's an empty nest? Number two, right now we're being given uh, a dose, an unexpected dose of the most precious gift of all, which is time. You can always make more money, but you can't make more time. And you've been given a grace, is the way I look at it, that normally we couldn't afford extended time together. And uh, to look at it as a grace instead of as, you know, a curse or a burden of some stuff. Instead of worrying about the course of the virus, why not focus on building your marriage and your relationships with each other? That you've been given an incredible gift that may not come your way again, uh, which is really extended time together. You know, Bill, maybe it was 20 some years ago, I lost my job. I was working for a school and they downsized 12 people and my position went with it. And I had four young children at the time, a wife, a mortgage. It was stressful to know what I was going to do next. But for two and a half years, I worked for myself, so to speak. And, um, I had much more time with my children than I had ever had beforehand. I ended up coaching my son's little league team. I ended up playing with my boys out in the backyard, my girls, my girl at the time. I look back at that two and a half year period as the the shining moment of my years raising children because I really got to connect with my little ones. I really got time to do this. And incidentally, while I was unemployed, someone called and asked me if I wanted to write a book. I had been a communications director at the school and was a professor. And I said, no, he's already got a co-writer. I knew who it was. He goes, well, do you have a book in you? And I go, well, wait a minute. I guess I hadn't thought of that. Uh, Yeah, I've got a story about Jacob and Leah and their marriage. And he goes, well, put down your thoughts and send it to me. Well, the name of that book was For Better, For Worse, For Keeps, which ended up being the launching of our marriage ministry. Mm. And going back to what I said, God does his best work in difficult times. Um, That began a totally new uh, trajectory for us. Um, You know, and I know this goes out, you've heard this so many times, but it is an opportunity to enjoy the simple things of life again. Um, I take a two-mile walk each day in our area. We're kind of out in the country, more area. But I've discovered I had neighbors. I didn't know oh, I really? had neighbors. Yeah. Fascinating. There's houses all around me, but I didn't know I had any neighbors. <laughs> and we are we are greeting one another. We, we're keeping our distance. We're wearing masks, all that. But we say hello. And I see fathers with their wives, with strollers. I see dogs. I see people enjoying a walk. Um, you know, reading a good book uh, to each other, playing board games. I have children in England right now, grandchildren, and I play Battleship online with them. Um, we, we we play Battleship uh, several times a week with each other online, and all, so many of these games can be done that now, miracle technology. You know, think of this as a staycation, um, where you're doing the things that you would do if you were given, you know, time off. Um, And it's a chance to grow spiritually. Uh, We're usually too busy to do something like making a prayer list of people we we love and want to pray for by name. Uh, We seldom, if ever, as a couple, sit and read an entire book of the Bible in one sitting. But, you know, try it. Go to BibleGateway.com, listen to the audio version, a chapter or a book, and it's, it's all free. 
and then discuss, you know, what, what stands out from what we've just heard, what spoke to you. I mean, there's just, this is an opportunity uh, to focus. Um, I've been calling people who um, are involved in our ministry in one way or another and thanking them and having an opportunity to pray for them. Are there people you need to call? Are there people you could even pray with today who might be more isolated or lonely than you are? Um, You know, you have an opportunity to do that. And every person I've called virtually has said, thank you. Thank you for calling me. I mean, this means a lot to me. And and I didn't realize how much it it meant. They they mean that, Bob, don't they? They really mean that when they thank you for calling. Yep, they really do. And there are opportunities today for us to do that with people in our lives, relatives, nieces, nephews, grandchildren, or friends, people at church. Call them and, um, and tell them just that you were thinking of them and ask them the question, how could I pray for you today? And then before you hang up, do that. I'm horrible for saying I'll pray for you and then forgetting it, you know, 10 minutes later because of the press of life. And that's why, rather than saying, I'll pray for you, I'll say, can we pray now? Nice. And, and just do a, a short and simple prayer on their behalf. That's all great wisdom. I love that. So there's also, there's also things you can do um, and take time to talk about stuff maybe you've never talked about before. Well, yes, there is. Um, that's something else I'd like to stress is you can discuss things now you've never had the time to talk about. I encourage, for example, couples, if they've never done this, to tell each other their life story. I mean, not just the little bits and segments from high school or grade school or whatever, but start from the beginning and tell your spouse as much as you can remember about your life growing up, your first recollections of life, the quality of your parents' marriage, maybe the good and bad things that happened to you growing up that changed you. Tell them about your spiritual journey uh, from your earliest recollections of God to maybe where you are now. Uh, you may want to talk. This could be a little bit more dicey. <laughs> Tell them about your dating, your, 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 what you learned, you know, through your relationships with the opposite sex that finally led you two together and what attracted you, you know, to one another. Mm-hmm. You know, Bill, we always, there is always undiscovered territory in a couple's marriage and talking about uh, maybe the three best things that happened to you and the three worst things by age 18. And particularly those three worst things are going to help you know maybe about some areas of damage in your spouse's heart that you can care about. The three best things are going to tell you, hey, if we did something like this again, they would really feel loved. Um, I think we should set goals for when this crisis is over. I remember my mother and father, part of the greatest generation, grew up in the Dakotas, raised us in the Minneapolis area. Dad was away in World War II for over a year and a half. But they they wrote each other, and they always talked about what they would do when this was all over. They, They looked beyond the suffering and the uncertainty of those days to what will we do when finally I'm home? Finally, we can begin our life. They were only married six weeks before Dad went overseas. Um, and, and their focus, and I think wisely so, on the future. 
You know, what is what do we what do we want to accomplish? And I think, you know, uh, what what are three things that you hope that the two of you can accomplish in the years you have left? What missed opportunities do you have that you still have time to correct? Um, and here's one. It sounds more more um, oh uh, difficult or sad than it, it, I don't really mean this. What do we want our kids and grandkids to say to us at our funeral? <laughs> what do we hope our kids get up and say and our grandkids might say about us at the funeral? You know, one, one business um, coach, life coach said, we ought to start with our tombstone and work backward in life. What do we want written on our tombstone? Well, how to get there? Let's start where we are today and work, you know, uh, from then to where we are now. How would we get there? Um, you know what? What do we want our kids and grandkids to say about us? Uh, hey, nobody loved me more than grandpa. Right. Um, I have to tell you that my grandmother was so amazing. She believed in me. You know, at my own mother's funeral, uh, we were all very sad, but I watched the grandkids uh, that were there that were old enough to be there. And uh, they were undone, you know, that day because they each had a special memory of their grandmother. Well, you know, why wait? We won't hear that at the funeral anyway. We, <laughs> so why not do the things today that would lead them to say and feel the things they would uh, when we were gone? And uh, today, one of my kids had a great idea. We have six children. They're spread out over two continents, Los Angeles, Atlanta, London, all over the world. We Zoomed today, and we spent about an hour talking to each other. It's the first time all the six kids and us have been together in several years. We always get three or four, but never the whole group. You know something? Right now, tell your kids, uh, I love you. Uh, you are my son or daughter, and I'm pleased with you. Mm. Just those three things. Just today, tell your children or your grandchildren, I love you. You're my, you're my dear son or daughter. You're my dear uh, grandson or daughter, and I am so pleased with you. Where do I get that? From what Jesus was told at his baptism. When heaven opened, the Spirit descended and said, this is my son whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. You know, if nothing else, start telling your children that and your grandchildren that. And they will never forget it. It will anchor them. It will be a memory they take with them through their whole lives. You know, right now, you have the time to make those connections. Do it. Yeah, because you don't want the grandkids at the funeral saying, does anybody know Grandpa's PIN number? (laughs) Yeah, right. All right, Bob, let me take a little break. Bob Muller is my guest for KeepsMinistries.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show. Bob Muller is my guest for KeepsMinistries.com. Question that came in, Bob. I try to put the Lord first in my life and try to be obedient to Him even when it hurts me. I know the Lord loves me, for Christ died for me, but I'm struggling to trust Him in my relationships. How do I learn to trust that God will fulfill the desires of my heart when I'm a 34-year-old unmarried and I feel like God wanted me to break up with a boyfriend who I love but doesn't attend church? 
Wow, there's a lot in that question. Yeah. First, can I just say to you, I admire you, whoever sent that in. I admire you for trusting God's Word more than your feelings, uh, maybe more than the way your emotions were pulling you. Um, it is difficult to uh, let go of a relationship, which seemed like it could be what you've been longing for and needing for, but you know that something is fundamentally flawed. And that is that the two of you uh, are not on the same page spiritually. What uh, the scriptures call being unequally yoked to one another. And that's a question that gets put to me so often. But let me just say that um, God uh, honors uh, our obedience. I, in fact, I don't think we can ever outgive God. Um, in no matter what area of our life we're giving him control over or giving him of our time, money, our relationships, he always has a way of giving more than that. But I want to say in a practical sense um, that you've made a wise decision because I get the opportunity in our ministry to minister to singles, adult singles, older singles, and uh, to married couples. Uh, we, Cheryl and I have a ministry to both. Uh, what we hear so often with um, singles that we're working with is maybe they desperately want to be married. And then we talk to married couples who desperately want to be single again. Um, they're unhappy in their relationship. And so, you know, both times we can be discontented in our present situation. But here's what I've seen is that if you marry an unbeliever, given enough time, what usually happens is that neither of you are happy. Given enough time, neither of you are happy with the marriage. The believer is unhappy because this person doesn't share my values to go to church, to be part of a Bible study. They may object to me tithing. The believer, unbeliever is unhappy because they say, you know, you look at me like I'm uh, some kind of second-class citizen or that, you know, I'm a bad person because I'm not a Christian or I'm going to hell or something like that. And they build up a resentment. And so over time, uh, both of you end up, and I think that's why God's Word, among other reasons, tells us not to be unequally yoked, is that He knows down the line it will be frustrating, if not very painful, to both people. Um, we have a group in, in Chicago. It's actually online now on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. It's a kind of a Zoom group for older singles. It used to be called MSG, standing for Molar Single Group with no additives, just, uh, you know, gospel and friendship, MSG. Um, and those kind of questions get put to us uh, all the time. And I tell singles uh, that I care about, and, and that's a group that I think gets so neglected in the church and overlooked and so often finds themselves sadly marginalized, and our hearts go out to that. It shouldn't be that way. They have so much to offer the church and so much to offer us uh, in relationships. Um, Cheryl and I have been so blessed by the adult singles that have been part of our lives for 10 years now or more. Anyway, what I tell them is there's four steps, I think, to, to, to setting yourself in a place, putting yourself in a place where God can bring you that person you're longing for. And those four steps are these. They may not apply to everybody, but often they do. Number one, make sure you're right in your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want to find the right person, you have to be the right person. Like attracts like. And every quality 
uh, or value that you want in someone else, make sure it's present in your life to begin with. I believe we all send out frequencies. We all emit uh, a bandwidth or a frequency uh, that has to do with our character, our morals, our faith. And guess what? People on that same bandwidth are, are the frequency pick it up. And if we're not right with God, we'll people who are not right with God will pick up as well, and that's who will be attracted to us. So we want to be right with Jesus Christ, fully committed, surrendered to his will. Number two, we want to break off all immoral relationships. If we are involved in, you know, uh, friends, friendships with benefits, if we are involved in casual relationships that are displeasing, break it off. Stop today. Um, that is not the person you want to marry. That is not the person you want to be married to, is someone who is pressuring you or leading you into uh, a relationship where you're compromising yourself and living outside the will of God. I could talk about that for an hour as to why that is important. Number, But you want to break off those relationships and reset and live a life of purity. Who will you attract? Someone else who's living a life of purity, which is what you want. Number three, you want to resolve your emotional pain and hurts in your life. You want to go through the kind of healing Isaiah 61 talks about, where it says Jesus came to bind up the brokenhearted so that your emotional wounds, you might be right spiritually, you might be living a life of, uh, of sexual integrity, but then if there are emotional unresolved problems, anger, depression, rejection, hostility, dominance, uh, perfectionism, all of those can keep people away. It, it can drive individuals away. And again, like attracts like. You know, uh, work through with a, a pastor, a counselor, the emotional wounds in your life and resolve those. And you will discover maybe my heart is more open now to a relationship than I ever thought it was before. And now I'm ready to recognize and maybe date people I wouldn't have before because emotionally now I'm on a different page. And then finally, my recommendation is to serve, uh, serve Christ, serve his church with your gifts. That the best way, there's many ways God can meet, lead someone into our lives. I recognize that. But one of the very best is to be serving in a ministry. Uh, of giving of yourself uh, for the sake of serving God with the gifts he's given you. When you meet someone else doing that same thing, serving as you are serving, you have a ton of things in common already. You are already so far ahead, more than if you had gone on Christian Tingles or some other website. Um, you would really discover how much the two of us have in common. Now, I can't promise you these are descriptive rather than prescriptive, just as, as the promises of Proverbs describe in general what will happen to us if we obey them. Um, in the same way, I think these describe how we can set ourselves up to meet the right person. Now, I want to add a postscript to this. The four steps that I've given you that I share with adult singles, I have seen in the last decade... Um, more than a handful, maybe two handfuls, maybe three, I have seen adult singles find someone and marry and, and, and have a fulfilling marriage 
when they did those four things. I can't promise you, I cannot sign on the dotted line, I cannot give you the same uh, 90-day back guarantee that a vegematic can on an infomercial. But I can tell you, I have I, I, I came to these four principles by watching the, the, the adult singles, older singles get married who had wanted, who had, had been looking for that. Um, and I asked what was in common, and these four things stand out. Um, so good question, maybe a longer answer than what you were looking for. But I have found that those four steps in our lives can clear the path. Uh, for God to bring somebody into our lives. Um, That was really interesting, Bob. I just enjoyed hearing that and very well laid out. So thank you for that uh, instruction. Oh, most welcome. It's a good question. Yeah, that's uh, all the time we have. So, Bob, thank you so much for coming on. Look forward to another conversation we can have. This is a great topic, and I know that people really enjoy when you come on. Well, thank you. I always appreciate it each opportunity. Thanks. Yeah, Bob Muller's been my guest for KeepsMinistries.com is his website. That wraps up our show for the day. Thank you so much for uh, being with me and spending this time together, and I hope you have a great evening. Thank you for uh, listening and supporting Faith Radio. We've got our our, uh, spring chair coming up next week. Looking forward to that. And thank you very much, and I will see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.